Welcome back to the second uh, ep- second season, actually, in fact, of History Over Coffee. This is a podcast brought to you, produced by the history department here at Marshall University. I am Dr. Manami Guha, faculty member here in the history department at Marshall University, and we're joined once again by somebody you have heard in our previous season as well, Dr. Chris White, professor at the history in the history department at Marshall University. Welcome, Dr. White. Thank you. Um, so do you promise to again come back to record lots of episodes uh, this season as well? Yeah, only if you do too. Oh, okay. People definitely want to hear from you as well. Oh, I don't know about that. But I, I actually like asking the questions because, you know, we're all history nerds and I love learning about these things, especially from you, because, you know, you have, um, you know, there's so much about the world that you know about and teach about, which also I sort of want to tell our listeners, what is the special course that you're teaching this semester? Well, because of the October 7th attacks last year, I thought that it would be good to revive a course that we had on the books, but hadn't been taught in about a decade, and that's the Arab-Israeli conflict. And so that's what I'm teaching this semester. Wow. And so, um, and, and I know you and I have had a conversation about it, but you really are sort of teaching it as a true history course, right? Like giving the background and information and historical context to how it came to be today, the way it is. Yeah, and I I really went back and forth on which kinds of books I would use. You know, I thought, well, maybe I should try books that are from the the pro and the con sides, and mm-hmm. uh, and but then I realized, you know, that that's not. I don't want to encourage people to um, to think in those terms uh, and to buy into those terms. I'd rather them start by looking at something that's as objective as possible. And of course, that's a very hard thing to do in history, as we know. And, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but I, so I chose a journalist who also has a PhD who covered it as for his career named Ian Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and I both know this author's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is called Enemies and Neighbors. I'd highly recommend it to anybody because it would really give you so much detail. And I, from what I can see, he doesn't seem to take a side. He, he mm-hmm. understands both sides very well. Wow, amazing. And if anyone is actually interested to know about the background, the historical background to the conflict, you can go to one of uh, you can go to our previous season and listen to Dr. White give us the overview, historical overview of the conflict in about 10 minutes. That was no mean feat, Dr. White. I cannot believe you actually managed to do it in 10 minutes. That was incredible. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So now we have come to a new season, new year. Um, so we're going to dive right into it. This day in history, January 12th, 1991. Please tell us. So the typical historian will say, uh, let's go back decades and uh, and lead up to uh, that present day. But I uh, don't want to do that right away. That first date, that January 12th, 1991, was something that really uh, the U.S. Congress and the U.S. uh, people, the military, they really took a long time getting to that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it was a a new endeavor, you know, for a long time since the Vietnam War, we have been debating what is our role, what's our military role in the world. Mm -hmm. And because it was such a humiliation and -hmm. such a loss, too, and we didn't get anything out of the Vietnam Mm -hmm. War in the end, except for uh, those things, Mm -hmm. that it was very difficult to justify the use of force. And in fact, we had sent troops to several places on peacekeeping missions. 
And in, in one case, we also had uh, gone down to Panama, but we very quickly got out. And so the idea of going into uh, this country far away and sending hundreds of thousands of troops, uh, that was really um, something that was uh, very heavily thought out. I don't think that they really planned for what was going to happen afterwards. And I don't think anybody really analyzed uh, the causes that led to that point, the multi um, uh, aspects, uh, the multi, uh, all the different elements that led to that process. Because if they had, then they, um, then even all the military planning uh, would have uh, been stalled. Because what happens afterwards is really what leads to 9-11. Wow. So it's like a domino effect. It's cause and effect in history. One thing leads to another and it just continues to sort of get worse. So what was so, so, okay, so what you're saying is the U.S. was trying to recover um, from, you know, the Vietnam War, which again, spoiler for our listeners, we are going to have you back again uh, this season to talk about the Vietnam War. There's a specific date that you want to talk about, but specifically, what is it that the Congress allows the president to do on January 12th? This is really what initiates what's called Operation Desert Storm, which mm -hmm. starts on January 17th mm -hmm. and goes all the way up through February 28th. And Desert Storm is most of it, most of it is actually the softening up of the Iraqi military through um, and, and uh, Iraq's infrastructure too, through aerial bombardment. And that takes place over the course of uh, several weeks. Uh, all the way through uh, to mid-February, and then we finally launched the ground invasion into Kuwait to kick Saddam Hussein out. Mm -hmm. um, and and so that, that ground uh, part only lasts for about five days. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by the end of it, by February 28th, mm -hmm. uh, and, and part of it, the reason why they cut it off at five days is because uh, Norman Schwarzkopf and the U.S. government uh, they were very much aware that the Israeli six-day war was seen as a major triumph, and so they wanted to beat the Israelis um, and have a shorter war even than they did. But uh, but this was really about uh, trying to kind of demonstrate to the world that the U.S. could use its military uh, for good to try and uh, stop a, a brutal dictator from taking over a, a much weaker country for the sake of oil. Mm -hmm. But the the causes of that conflict to begin with you know what is it that led saddam hussein to go into kuwait mm -hmm. what is it that led us to all of a sudden become enemies with saddam hussein and, and the the roots of that are very interesting to me mm -hmm. it actually uh, goes back to iran in a lot of ways which mm -hmm. people don't really focus on how does kuwait have anything to do with iran right. um, but uh, i could talk about that a little bit if you don't mind absolutely yes please so in 1953 mm -hmm. The CIA, as you know, um, orchestrated the coup d'etat, the overthrowing of the democratically elected government of Iran, which is led by Mohammad Mossadegh. Mm -hmm. And uh, this led to the rise of the Shah of Iran, who ruled the country for the next 26 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this is a very oil rich country mm -hmm. and in the middle of uh, the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. And was also, um, you know, strategically located for the United States and for um, the Soviet Union, too, because the Soviet Union was on the border with Iran right. at that time. And so we were concerned that Iran would go to the, to the communists. And so we ended up uh, getting the Shah on our side. Mm -hmm. We got privileged access to relatively cheap oil. But this also, um, you know, kind of maintained the status quo in the region. We were friends with the, the Sunni oil producing countries. We were friends with Israel. We were friends with Iran. Mm -hmm. And uh, and. And so um, that kind of maintained the status quo until 1979, when you have the Iranian revolution. Okay. And that just changes everything, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. 
1979, you know, you have the hostage crisis in Iran. Um, so, but then how does the, how does, how does Iraq's shift of focus happens that they decide to look at Kuwait? So because of the Iranian revolution succeeding with such fervor in 1979, you have this very popular uh, Shiite revolutionary movement right on the border with a predominantly Shiite country, which is Iraq as well. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Iraq was run by uh, by the Sunni minority, um, which was led by Saddam Hussein. And so Saddam Hussein in, in September of 1980 decides that he's going to invade Iran to get a little bit of a land grab in the southern portion of Iran in the Khuzestan province in the Shat al-Arab um, area so that he could have access to the oil fields down there. It's right next to Kuwait too. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, um, in, in an effort to try and thwart um, the rise of Shiite uh, nationalism in Iraq, which would be inspired by the Iranian revolution. Mm -hmm. um, he does this and then he gets himself into a quagmire uh, and he can't defeat the Iranians. A million to a million and a half people die over the course of the next eight years. The United mm -hmm. States ends up getting on board to try and patrol the Persian Gulf on behalf of Iraq. We support Iraq. Mm -hmm. We flag Kuwaiti ships, which are also allied with Iraq, with American flags so that they can get the def they can get protection from American from the American Navy. Mm -hmm. And this is what we call the tanker war in 1987 to 88. Mm -hmm. So this leads into this, uh, you know, we become involved in the quagmire, which is the Iran Iraq war. Right. But it's a broader Shia, Sunni Shia war, too. Okay. Mm hmm. And so eventually, to, to make a long story short, lots of casualties take place uh, during that tanker war, in addition to the Iran-Iraq war. By 1990, Saddam Hussein's Iraq is incredibly uh, de devastated. Their economy is devastated. And, um, and Kuwait mm -hmm. has actually come out pretty much unscathed. And so Saddam Hussein goes into Kuwait August uh, 2nd, 1990, in part because Kuwait had also um, increased its oil production, which brought down the price of oil. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so then the United States sends troops over uh, starting in, on August 7th, 1990, building all the way up through to Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Wow. Okay. So, just, wow. You know, I just think I'm going to say something here is that anytime I have you on for history over coffee, I'm not going to call it the 10 minute history lesson. I'm going to call it at a minimum, the 20 minute history lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so much that you tell me and our listeners, it's just incredible. Anyway. um, So what has been the legacy of desert storm in American history and global history? Well, one of the ways in which it's been a legacy is that uh, it has a direct connection to 9-11 on, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden, the founder and leader of Al Qaeda, former, yeah. I should say. Uh, he, of course, became radicalized with his uh, in war with the Mujahideen alongside the Mujahideen in Afghanistan against the Russians. Mm -hmm. And once that war ended in 1989, then he had all these trained Arab fighters mm -hmm. and he offered them to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to defend Saudi Arabia in the case of in the advent of Iraq invading Saudi Arabia. Um, and that was the reason why the United States had gone over there to defend the kingdom of Saudi Arabia from a potential Iraqi invasion after he invaded Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And of course, bin Laden was rebuffed. He goes into exile. And uh, and then the fact that the United States had sent troops there to Saudi Arabia, which is the, the holiest of holy lands mm -hmm. for the Muslim people, that mm -hmm. was seen as an affront 
to Osama bin Laden. And so he starts to mount the, this organization called Al-Qaeda, becomes more powerful and more powerful throughout the 1990s. He issues his first fatwas against us in 1996 and 98, mm -hmm. and included in there are a, a need, a demand that the United States removes itself from the Holy Land. I mean, we have, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of Christian soldiers, mm -hmm. non-Muslim soldiers, including men and women mm -hmm. in the Holy Land, which is an affront to, to him and his Islamist followers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in addition to the fact that we had implemented a, uh, a major sanctions regime against the Iraqi people, which was associated with hundreds of thousands of deaths. Mm -hmm. um, he included that in his fatwa against us as well. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the first major attacks that he took out, carried out against us on our East African embassies in Kenya and Tanzania mm -hmm. were to mark the anniversary, the eighth anniversary of the first U.S. troops that were sent over to Saudi Arabia. That was August 7th. So the East Africa attacks, attacks on our embassies were carried out on August August 7th, 1998. Mm -hmm. And that was the eighth anniversary of us sending troops over to Saudi Arabia uh, on the eve of the Iraq war. And it all starts on January 12th when the Congress allows, um, you know, President George H.W. Bush to go into the conflict. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, Dr. White, thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of season two of History Over Coffee. And hopefully our listeners will get to hear from you many more times through this season. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening to our first episode of the season. Um, if you are interested in a history degree, if you're interested in working with Dr. White, please visit the History Department website of Marshall University. You'll have find his email address address, the email addresses of other faculty members. If you're interested in working with them, shoot us an email, let us know what you think, and we'll see you on the next episode of History Over Coffee, This Day in History. Thank you, Dr. White, for joining us today. Right back at you. Thank you. Take care. Bye.